Hi, and welcome to Song Divers, an interview podcast about singer-songwriters. We like to go deep in conversation with our favorite musicians in search of honest answers. What are the ingredients of a great song? What makes a songwriter tick? Can a musician make a living these days? Is Jason Isbell overrated? What? My name is Stefan. And this is Ed. And this week, we get after some soulful, southern-made rock and roll. Hi guys, this is JT Brown. J.T. Brown, his soft-spoken Southern delivery draws you in and puts you at ease. But put a guitar in his hands and a mic in front of him, and the powerfully soulful wave of vibey space folk that rolls out of him is likely to bowl you over. From his 2016 release of Phantom Heart to his more recent work on Down the Coast, J.T. Brown's material is contemplative, descriptive, and pretty groovy. Tap your foot and sway your head with us as we dive in with J.T. Brown. So, JT, where are you from, man? I grew up in Lutz. Um, Just here in Florida? Yeah. I'm a, I'm a Floridian, a native, one of the few. Rare breed. Yeah, rare breed for sure. <laughs> That's funny. I was going to ask if you were from Tennessee because I was listening to one of your, uh, um, is it down the coast? Yeah. I, just, I think it's nice to incorporate the word Tennessee into songs. I don't know. Yeah. It's a good Sort word. of a classic choice. Yeah. Well, it's a beautiful state. It is a beautiful state. My draw, I think, comes from... Growing up, you know, north of the city mm-hmm. in the woods. North of Tampa. Yeah. Yeah. Tampa. Yep. Lutz is more, yeah, rural. I mean, it's not as country as Tennessee, but. What was your upbringing like, JT? Uh, it was pretty standard, I guess. I mean, um, you know, my my folks have been married for a long time and are happy and awesome. And uh, Musical household? Were they musicians? Uh, they weren't mus- They're not musicians, uh, but my dad is... I'd say a connoisseur of music. I mean, he, he's he's always collected records, and um, I mean, he's probably got I don't know thirty thousand songs on his on his iTunes. I don't know to the point where my mom's like, "You got to chill out. We got to we got to pay we got to pay the electric bill, dude. It's gotta, a sign of a happy marriage. You got to yeah. relax." You know? um, but you know, he's a very very uh, wide range of uh, styles, and and uh, I was exposed to a lot of different types of music growing up, so. Um, piano in the house, you know, from the time I was born and just, uh, always had instruments in my hands tinkering. So, and, and, and neither of them were, uh, musicians, but you had a piano in the house. So did anybody play? Um, I think my mom liked it as a showpiece and well, I guess in, in their mind, the best way to bring up a well-rounded human being is to put things in front of them, you know, put as many things in front of them as possible. So they did that. With sports and other things as well. So, and uh, good kid, bad kid, are you getting in trouble? I think I was a pretty good kid. I mean, I, you know, I I always enjoyed holding myself to somewhat of a higher standard in a behavioral sense. Most of my friends were 
were not well behaved, I'd say. That sounds like good content for songs. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I think I didn't give him too much trouble growing up. You know, I was always, always had a pretty good head on my shoulders. So when when did you pick up a guitar then? Pianos around the house, they're not musical. Were you <clears throat> lessons guy, self-taught? How'd that, how'd that start? Well, with guitar, I'm self-taught. Um, I, I started playing at 13. I started on sax. I am classically trained on sax. Um, I, st- I started on, on horn when I was eight. Um, and, uh, my, my teacher in school was a, was a Juilliard grad and a member of the Florida Orchestra. And a brilliant, <clears throat> brilliant woman. Taught us a lot about the feel of the music and how to how to dig into the expressive part of it. You know, she fortunate fortunate that I didn't get bombarded with a bunch of theory at a young age. I did, but it was does, how does the how does the theory support the message that this that the music the piece of music is trying to convey? And that was always her approach, which I thought was really beneficial. So by the time I got the guitar, I started I started immediately writing um wasn't learning covers or anything like that i started kind of writing simple compositions and i think that training previously um it certainly informed my approach to the guitar when i picked it up as far as just using it as more of a as an instrument to express myself and not a tough to sing and play sax at the same time that is true yeah that is true (laughs) i uh i've been thinking lately about incorporating it in my live my live show though drawing designs for some sort of double strap where I can or it's almost some sort of like rotary thing on it where I can spin it put a guitar off to the side and spin the sax and I don't know Swiss Army sax yeah I mean that would be <laughs> cool I don't know I haven't seen it done so you still play the sax on a regular basis or not on a regular kind of, basis I need yeah. to, I'm, I'm starting to play it more often I I uh I picked it up recently and it just felt so good mm-hmm. to do it you know I don't know it's a a different feel it's less aggressive for me I, I like to play the guitar aggressively mm-hmm. you know and sax is is um a little more nuanced itself. Mm-hmm. yeah it's a, yeah. it's a little more nuanced i mean obviously the, the guitar is as well but you're also in sort of you're in sort of more of a pocket with, with horn too tonally I mean, you're definitely in a pocket tonally <clears throat> so it's your breath and your articulation with your embouchure and things like that that it's it's a very it's the the movements are so uh, they're so minute that mm-hmm. you know I find that part of it intriguing and fi- fi- figuring out how to be accurate with those movements these like micro movements I think that's a really cool aspect of of any woodwind instrument or brass instrument I'd say too. How about voice? Like how did that did that relate to how when you started singing? Did is that useful to you? Uh, your training on the sax, you think? Hmm. I've never thought about that. I imagine. People say I, I'm humble when I sing, so <laughs> maybe not. <I> <laughs> so what's coming? What's uh? What's rising to the top as you're listening to music growing up? You know, you mentioned your dad's got a large collection. You, know, you mentioned sax. You started to you know migrate over guitar. And we'll get back to that. But what are you hearing musically? What stands out as you think about your upbringing? Like, what were your influences? What was the stuff you know being played that's impacting you? I guess what sticks out first probably is Almond Brothers. Um. I listened to a lot of them growing up, for sure. Uh, they're yeah. Florida, Florida boys. Definitely too. thank your dad for that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I really first understood great guitar playing when I heard Dickie Betts and when I heard Dickie and Dwayne playing together and just what you could do with melody. I mean, Dickie Betts, is a, from a melodic standpoint, he's a phenomenal player. 
and you know, I don't. I guess there's a there's just a southern cool about what they did that I vibed with for sure. Um, but you know, guys like Guy Clark and Towns Van Zant and classic, you know, iconic Texas songwriters, and and then you know, I I was also listening to a lot of Coltrane at that point when I was younger, and this was, I, on sax playing sax, I, I I was getting into getting into freeform jazz pretty quickly, pretty pretty early on. Nine or ten years old, I think I heard um, "Love Supreme." Yeah. yeah, and I just that is a great record. that slow, you know that thing. I don't, I don't know. I mean, even as a kid, that hit me as a a really real way of playing music, you know. And I, even with simple simple folk songs or something that's a one four five, I mean, that works. It it can work because. You know, you approach it a certain way from a certain place in your mind, obviously. So, obviously, there's a lot of uh, formulaic music out there that uses those same patterns, and it's easy to understand why it doesn't hit you. People can play the same same exact chord progression in a different way, and it'll hit you. That's totally true. I mean, it's it's a similar to a voice, right? An approach to how you express something. You know, mm-hmm. you could do the same thing, same composition, um, and it just hits somebody the right way because of a slight change of. Well, you mentioned too, your, you know, the physicality of a vocal approach, you know, mm-hmm. or the way you attack or approach an instrument. So, JT, you talked about, um, you know, your sax teacher <clears throat> and teaching about, you know, how uh, theory informs expression of a piece. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit about what made you start to think you wanted to have a musical, artistic voice. Yeah, I think uh, when it comes to the guitar, I, you know, I could I could say that. And it's true, the old cliche of just like, it's just cool, you know. No argument. <laughs> no. They're, you know, I think it's a beautiful looking instrument. It's like, you know, obviously there's a, <clears throat> there's a, there's room to sing and express yourself in other ways when you're holding an instrument like that, you know, a strained instrument. There's something about the guitar and why I gravitated towards it. I saw a pathway to expressing myself in a in like verbally and and what I wanted to say um just when it comes to songwriting that to me that is the is the most important thing when you come to this juncture in in the, in, a, in the process of writing a song is when the vocal melody and the words and the guitar playing the dynamics in the playing all support each other and and work together to deliver the message you know I think guitar is the is the best instrument and the best tool to be able to do that over the years too, I've, in production work, I've my own like just being in the lab working um, for my own creative output and on other people's projects and whatnot. Playing synthesizer, playing keys has really changed—not changed, but it's it's opened up. Uh, you know, it's a different approach for me and and how I write songs on the guitar too. You know, so it, it, each instrument brings something out in you different that's different from every other instrument what's the ratio like how often do you you write on keys uh, is it very often or is it kind of a <laughs> um 10 percent of the time yeah okay was, <laughs> but it ends up probably half of my material <laughs> really yeah. yeah 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 just because there's a you know especially with synthesizers the infinite number of tones you can get right on the spot I mean, I can just rifle through 15 different programs you know synth programs and each tone you know, certainly it, it it can elicit a a, a new emotion every time. Mm-hmm. Every single one can make you feel something different if you're really tuned into it. 
So in these really um, sort of in-between emotions that you feel like, I don't know, how, I'm trying to think of something. Like when you wake up in the morning and your girlfriend's or your lover's sitting on, in, next to you and she's like drooling on the pillow and you're like, I love this person. <laughs> you know, they're like drooling and they're messy. And I just And it's quiet, you know, that quiet moment. Those kind of things, how, how you can articulate that in a musical sense. Um, those are very specific tones and very specific sounds. I think, you know, I think uh, synthesizer helps to sort of find those tones. Mm-hmm. You know, and then they and then you can kind of recreate them on guitar if you if you want to choose to go back to the, you know, back to the, this instrument. You know. So I think that's really interesting that you talk about almost, almost like a cinematic quality. You're picturing a scene, mm-hmm. you know, and that's making yep. you want to express something. So <clears throat> when did you first start to write? When was your first, you know, first? What would you say is your first song? Do you remember your first song and was that it? You're like, man, I'm, I'm feeling this thing. I want to articulate it somehow because I'm seeing the beauty of this thing in front of me, or I just feel this artistic well, and I want to, you know, tap it. Um, yeah, I think probably 10th grade like, I don't know, 16, 15, 16. Um, all the hormones raging. Yeah, I had a, yeah, <laughs> there was certainly, I think it was about a girl. I'm pretty sure it was, uh, I'm embarrassed to say the title at this point, but I actually remember it was called Velvet Cocoon. Oh, I wasn't there, but I can go ahead and tell you it was about a girl. How just like how sophomoric and oddly pretentious. But I love that weird. you shared that with us. Velvet Cocoon. It's a great band name. But it's band name. It's you know. <laughs> now I just think of the you know the movie Cocoon. Like I don't know. Just, anyways, but yeah. So and so you write this one down. Was it like an immediate? Okay, I'm going to keep writing and. That felt good as expressive or sort of like lightning in a bottle for a little while and came back to it? Yeah, I think... Because you've been playing I, a while, right? I, I mean, imagine... I mean, I've been playing professionally. I mean, I've been making my living at it for 15 years now. I was going to say, yeah. Um, you know, I started I started writing and writing songs and, and recording them in a really basic way. 15, 16 years old, so... Um, I've been at it for about 20 years and I'm still, you know, I'm still trying to figure it out, which is great. And that's what, you know, I think that's, that's the drive. I hope that never goes away. And I don't, part, I don't think part it are you trying to figure out? Is it what you're trying to figure out what you want to say? Are you trying to figure out what you express or is it just honing, honing what you're already doing? I'm trying to figure out how to come up with the most unique um, combinations of melodies, both vocally and instrumentally. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to make the most unique, authentic compositions that I can make that are still a tight, cohesive, marketable package. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I'm getting really close. I can feel it. This next record is, I can I can feel that I'm like there. You know, are and you I'm not, I've been honest with myself about that the whole time. I've known that I've. You know, I've known that everything that I've done up to this point is just a step to get to that place. You know, and maybe I'll say that thirty years from now too. You know, so I don't. I I think that's just the journey of it. And well, if it keeps getting better and better, let's hope you say that thirty years from now, right? Right, and I think that's the goal. I mean, I always respect. I respect an artist that has a full body of work. You know, that's what I respect in people. Obviously, people they they strike they strike gold or they strike you know lightning strikes and they come up with a record that's profound and they, they swing it right out of the gate. And, um, I'm, I'm just not, I'm not that fortunate. I, I'm, I'm the type of person that I think that I do have a natural ability and a natural skill. 
but I've cultivated it and I've worked hard to continue to get better at it. And, you know, that's, I don't mind that. I don't mind that. It shapes every other area of my life too, so. Well, a balance of talent and skill can really vary is the ratios. You know, you have the people that just wake up and they can do it from the Mm get-go and then the people that just work at it every single day and sometimes those people are just as good and sometimes better, Mm -hmm. you know, but it is. It's cultivating what you have and there's a lot that goes into the toolkit. Yeah, I think if you have a natural ability and you work your ass off and you're going to end up really good at what you do and you just keep doing it, you know, there's nothing, I've never had a desire. Once I figured out, you know, once I had that aha moment and I really, really hit me. Um, and that was that you were going to be a musician? Yeah, that I wanted to, that this is what I was, that my my makeup, you know, whatever whatever that is, is designed to, you know, it, it manifests itself in song some, in some way. Well, what was that aha moment? Do you remember when it happened? Oh, yes, very, very clearly. I was, um, so I was going to Art Institute in Miami. I was studying interior design down there, and I was doing really well in school. Probably the best best I'd ever done scholastically in my life. I've always kind of skated by, but I started to I started to skip class a little bit, and I was out the beach one day. You know, I was down in Miami, like I said. I was out. I was out. So I think Sunny Isles Beach or somewhere north of <clears throat> South Beach, where it's a little quieter. And I was on the beach, and I was I was. I had a dude that was selling me weed next door that was like 70 years old, you know, and it was, he was getting killer pot. And I just I went down to the beach and smoked a joint and I was right. I was just playing my guitar and all the like all the words, the melody and the, and the, and the thing for a first verse came to me all at once. It hit me and it was so overwhelming. I just I just cried for 15 minutes sitting there because it was so powerful. I was like, this is the first time I ever really felt a clear purpose that was um, that I knew, I like guess the first time I felt, I know I have something I have, I'm sitting on a secret. I know I have something that nobody else knows that I have, you know? And that is a great pot dealer. <laughs> <laughs> Could have been the weed. Let me, let me down this crazy path. But nonetheless, it, it was a profound moment for me and I packed my shit. I was gone in a week. That's awesome. I mean, I, I think sold my car two weeks later. Live in a studio for I. That's how I taught. That's when I taught myself how to produce. So I lived in a. I sold my car and I lived in this studio in the back room of the studio for about a year. What studio? I'm trying to think of the name. What he called it back then. It was this kid Eric Ross. Was um, it down there? Though? No, it was oh, on the river in Temple Terrace. Oh, okay. Uh, but he had killer analog gear. I mean, he had some awesome pieces. I was really lucky, and I just I just lived there and ate spaghetti for a year and and just taught myself how you know how to place mics and just constant trial and error and hanging out at the house I didn't have any money so I didn't go anywhere just uh it was great it was immersive I think I was out of my mind probably depressed and crazy but you know they're very important that can fuel your creativity too certainly (laughs) certainly certainly it also it also pushes you to find peace within yourself and figure out you know how you can do this thing you love in a in a constructive way, make it, make it worthwhile, not be plagued by dread and existential bullshit, you know? Well, and I think a thread that I've, I'm seeing come through some of our episodes and our guests is this moment of knowing definitively that you, this is what you're meant to do. This is what you want to do. And I think in, not just in music, but in so many people in life, just trying to figure out what's going to bring them joy and happiness, you know? Mm -hmm. So like the steps ahead of the game that you are, 
even if you're <laughs> floundering for that, you're trying to figure it all out, you know, which it's that's, you know, we keep talking about the 10,000 hours on our episodes, but that's that time where you're just working at it every single day. Absolutely. You're focused on it, you know. Um, but I, I think there's probably a lot of people listening to this, whether they're songwriters or, or any profession or calling that probably are envious that you got that aha moment. Cause so many people don't, there's a gray area and they have to kind of find their way into it. Yeah. And I, you, you know, <clears throat> to be honest, I've struggled with, I've struggled with pro- projecting that on other people or have projecting that expectation that they all, they, they should know, or they, it's, it's not. I don't know how to say that. I don't really don't know how to articulate that. It's it came to me early, and I and the older I get, the more I realize how really, really lucky I am to have experienced that. You know, that I see people my age that haven't had that yet. You know, and mm-hmm. um, and in the past, I've sort of uh, yeah projected some sort of expectation on the people for the way that they live or act or operate. You know, to that they should be seeking this thing out. And it's like, you know, the reality is I was, it, it came out of nowhere. Yeah. I was, I was writing and I was playing music and I was into it. So I was, I was on the path, you know, ready to receive that information when it came. But, um, you know, everybody's on their own timeline and you have to be working at it a little bit. It's not going to come out of thin air right? and bop you on the head and, and then, and that, then you're on your way. And I don't think it works like that. I think the universe rewards people that are, focused right and so are you you mentioned sitting on a secret i like that so are as part of your your secret uh are you sitting on some finished compositions you got a couple tunes in the bag where you're like this is the shit i've got this right now i feel good about this um or is it i know this is what i'm supposed to do and then over that next year and then the following years like is that when you're starting to put some of your first stuff together and put your first record together I had a bunch of like unfinished material right naturally i think that's kind of how everybody starts out you have a great verse and you have a great hook and you try and patch things together or you, you try and write on something and you haven't yet developed your craft enough to like put yourself back in the headspace. Now I can, I can write a verse. I know how it felt feels. I'll put it in my phone or whatever. I know exactly the headspace that I was in when I wrote it, how I felt and I can transport myself back there. But it took me a long time to be able to have that kind of control um, over the process. But you know, early on um, it was more just, I think playing and um learning how to open my open up vocally and um under and learning that like vocal technique to me for me what I've learned in vocal especially vocal technique is it's I mean it really is <clears throat> the quality of your voice and the quality of your vocal technique is directly related to how calm you are and how comfortable you are with yourself you know I mean, you have a physiological reaction. If you feel uncomfortable at all, if you're not willing to just let it fly, you you have there's a physiolo- physiological reaction that happens when you know it's a fight or flight thing, I guess, and uh, it affects the way you sing. Period. You know, I still I I have those moments now, even where I'm distracted or I'm not totally in it, and my voice just isn't as good. And uh, when you just let it fly, it happens. So I think I was in that I was in those learning phases until about 24, um, and a guy that I've been playing with. Since I was 17 or 18 years old, just noodling, you know, we'd sit there and watch, listen or support a DVD, you know, Dave Matthews DVD over and over and over again. And he would, he would, uh, he would learn all Dave's rhythms. And then I would just improvise over the top of him playing lead guitar. And so we got, 
<clears throat> our chemistry developed. His name's Travis Borgenon. Still one of my best friends. But uh, at 24, we called our friend Lane. He was up in New York working on a film. Great drummer. And Travis and I got together and we wrote a couple things and we sent them to him. And Lane's like, all right. And he quit, came down, and we started my first band, which was called The Groves. Then I started writing a lot, all the time. It's a good band name. Got a comment on that. It's a mm-hmm. good band name. Yeah, he had a 40-acre farm. He still does. It's still in the family. But they have a 40-acre farm right in the middle of Tampa, out by Avila, North Tampa. Um, but it was, half of it was orange groves that his great-grandfather planted. Like, they bought it in 1901, um, I think 1901 or 1911. Uh, so it has, and it, and it, it was on Indian Mound Road, so there were, <clears throat> there's still remnants of these Indian burial grounds, right? And you could, like at night, you could just feel this sort of mysticism. I don't know if that was like some weird internal confirmation bias or something, you know, because it was on the name of this road was Indian Mound Road. So we were like, there are Indian spirits here because there has to be because the name of the road, right? <laughs> but it might have been uh, might have been that. But I also think there was some sort of magical thing about the property, so that's why we named it the Groves, just to pay homage to where we started writing our songs and <clears throat> developing our craft as as a band and you know as friends. Are you still living, you're still living in the studio while this is happening? <clears throat> no, I had moved out at that point. Um, and you and you're gigging out too. At that point, I'm playing full time, playing full time, playing like playing these snippets live too. That's one thing I've always done. And it's a weird thing about the Bay Area where, you know, just you go to you go to a lot of major cities and you can you can hear great original music all over the place, you know. And and there's something strange about the Bay Area. It's getting better, but because I guess because it's such a you know there's so many transplants. It's such a tourist-driven economy. Um, they want people to play cover music. And that's fine. I get it. I play covers. You know, but gigging back then, I just, I refused. I'd, I'd play covers, but I refused not to, I would refuse to not play my originals. So I would also play these, like, one-minute clips, you know, and just repeat it three times. Call it a song, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so I was, you know, I was working that kind of stuff out. I wasn't, I was, uh, so yeah, I was, at that point I was working, working full-time gigging, I think, so. I'd already, I was a little more uh, conditioned than the other band members as far as lugging gear around every night and the actual work, the physical work and the toll it takes to sing for four hours and things like that. But and they were, caught up quickly. Were the snippets keeping you motivated? Like, is that what's keeping you going? Cause Absolutely. Be, right, we've, you know, we've all done that to a degree. You know, you mm-hmm. do the life where you get a game over your shoulders, Josh Riley put it. And like, you know, it's tough to endure that as a musician. If you're an original player, there's a lot of guys that I'm friends with and, and women too that are, I'm friends with they're just happy to be playing out they're happy to be playing music feels good to be strumming the guitar and playing something they care about and people enjoy it to some degree that's great mm-hmm. you know um, but for people that have that artistic voice that they want to share and that they want to you know find uh, commonality with other people in sharing that voice that's a tough thing to do you know and if, if you're doing it with covers cool but once you start sharing that original stuff and you're not having the ball returned from the other side of the court, that can be really tough. And it's, it's hard. You got to find gratification to keep going. It certainly can. You know, I've, I've always, it took me a little while. It took me a little, probably to probably till 28 or 29. You know, I, I didn't have, I didn't have the, I wasn't mature enough to just appreciate the fact that I had this, this passion and this skill that I got to cultivate for the rest of my life that I could, ded- I, I didn't, I didn't know how to appreciate that. So in times where, 
you know, uh, in between tours or whatever, where I've had to make some extra money and, and humble myself and go play in front of at a bar in front of a 50 people that didn't that were eating chicken wings and didn't give a shit what I was doing. Those are those are good. Those are formative experiences that I think are crucial. You know, I think they're very valuable. And uh, and also in those moments, play your original music, you know, just do it. I do it. I doesn't matter what gig I play. It does not matter. I play 80 percent original songs. And also you get to a point where if you keep doing that, your original songs are good enough to where they can entertain people. They don't need to know the words. I was going to say to me, that's an essential part of it, like bringing it public. Certainly helps also helps you formulate you know your craft mm-hmm. absolutely you know, absolutely yeah. you know i mean that kind of it is and i don't i don't think it's i don't think it's so much about <clears throat> um needing people to to validate your work as much as it is this is something that's in, inside of me and it feels really good to just get it out you know and let the chips fall where they may mm-hmm. that's a good way to put it and i, I want to go back to you mentioned about you know being able to appreciate something later that you were doing earlier, you know, and I, I think of, um, you know, one of the, one of your songs down the coast is one of those ones that I think you, one of the ones you wrote earlier on, mm-hmm. but you, you didn't actually lay it down until recently, right? Yep. So I, I, I think I wrote, I was probably 22, 23 when I wrote that and, uh, didn't record it till I was 32, 33. I think I recorded it about two years ago, maybe 18 months ago, something like that. But, um, that's a ten-year gestation period there. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? It's a, it's the it's the most simple song that I've that I have. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably I'm pretty conscious of how <clears throat> song lists, sorry, track lists. When you're track listing a record, just to, for cohesion for the re, for for a, pro, a particular project, certain things just don't fit. And I I, there, I guess there was other ideas I wanted to get out with those. The three records I put out with the Groves, and then my Phantom Heart was my other solo record that I released. Um, bigger ideas that are that were you know more rock and roll, you know, mm-hmm. and it didn't, you know, I guess 32, 33 hit me where I was like, you know, there's this more intimate side of me and what I what I want to express and how I perform, especially dynamically, <clears throat> down, not as loud, a little more articulate. Um, that I wanted to express, and I had a handful of songs. I finally compiled enough songs, ten or so, where I thought, all right, I can cut the fat on some of these and come up with five, and I'll put out an EP. And so, down the coast, landed on that one after a decade. You want you want to do that one for us? Sure. chase your ghost so up and down the coast cause the universe tells me you're the one that I love the most oh and in your eyes with a warm sun rising 
It's no big surprise that I'll be following you From the bright lights of Tokyo to Rome And back home, Lord, to Tennessee Sweet June, you're gonna be loving me But now you think Oh Lord that I was on the brink Of bowing up And graciously Accepting my defeat But I'm a heart of gold So heavy you can't hold it Only 24 years old So I keep following you From the bright lights of Tokyo to Rome and back home Lord, to Tennessee. Do 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 do. Oh, one day, sweet dove, you're gonna be loving me. Yeah. Oh, one day, sweet dove, gonna be loving me. And now, a quick interlude about one of the companies supporting this podcast. Ed, I think we can both agree that the best tasting songs are those that happen naturally. That's true. Wait, you can't really taste a song, though. That part's not... That's also true of the food we choose to consume, which is why our favorite new artist on the healthy protein charts is ButcherBox. 100% grass-fed beef delivered on dry ice to your door anywhere in the lower 48. So, does that make Alaska like the upper... Ed, just open the box. If you're into more genres than just beef, ButcherBox has you covered. They also deliver Alaskan wild sockeye salmon, free-range organic chicken... Wow, there's got to be like 11 pounds of meat in here. Heritage breed pork and special bacon. Special bacon? Special because it's free. Use code SONGDIVERS at checkout to get $20 off and free bacon in your first butcher box. And shipping's free too. Special bacon and special shipping. That's special. Now, can you grill as well as you can play guitar? Visit ButcherBox.com to order. Let's go back to uh, your timeline again. So the Groves, like how long were you guys? um... Six years. So at that point, did you feel the natural progression to just, I want to just do my own thing and move away from the band kind of experience? Yeah, we well, yeah, we had, uh, I'm not sure what it was. 
I think I was frustrated creatively. Um, I wanted to take the, the sound places that uh, I, didn't, I didn't think. <laughs> What's that? Get him, Indy. Hey. <laughs> I wanted to take the sound places that I didn't think they wanted to go. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to go, but they, I think they sort of had the attitude like, if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And we had a, we had really quick success in a way mm-hmm. on a, on a, on a, like we were right there, man. I mean, about to do a run with Kings Leon and band of horses and some, just the, the tension in the group, it reached ahead and, um, it was no longer fun for some of the other members. And that was probably my fault. You know, a lot of <clears throat> just pushing it, pushing the train, mm-hmm. wanting to, you know, just hungry and wanting to take it to another level, getting frustrated. I feel like I was feeling like I was pulling dead weight in a way, mm-hmm. getting frustrated. And at the time, not being mature enough or having any idea of how to communicate those things in an effective way without being a dick. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> um, you know, that's the thing, man. Music's fun for people and it should be. And when you got somebody in a group that is, is, is loses sight of that, mm-hmm. then what's the point of doing it? Mm-hmm. So it was a very valuable lesson for me. I, 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 uh, I understood quickly that, um, it was probably my doing, but I also, under, I also understood that I was, I was free and I could do what I wanted now creatively. Mm-hmm. And that was a very exciting time. And I, st- I took two years off, two or three years off from recording, <clears throat> maybe two years, and just traveled and rediscovered who I, who, you know, I needed to work on myself, my ego a little bit. I wanted to rediscover who I was as a songwriter, solo, you know, and, and give give some attention to the, the things that have been bouncing around in my head that I wanted to apply to my band that they weren't either interested in doing or ready for or whatever. Mm-hmm. Took some time off and did that. So then was the first next recording um, project was Phantom Heart? That's correct. Went into that? Okay. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. did that with Sean Kyle, you guys. Uh... Yep. Sean, Sean engineered it and <clears throat> he co-produced it, I'd say. Mm-hmm. I mean, not I'd say. he. We, we consulted on most decisions, mm-hmm. especially tonal things and guitar tones and things like that. He's a wizard with that. I was going to say, JT, you want to tell the listeners who Sean is? So, yeah, Sean Kyle's been around the Bay Area forever. Um, he's been in some really awesome bands. Um, the Bovilles. The Bovilles are great, man. I, I watched the video for Snow <clears throat> the other day. Mm-hmm. Kick-ass song. Great mm-hmm. song. Great video. Oh, yeah. cool John Wolding, I think. John Wolding shot that. Um, at a company called Ground Up Films. It was probably a, de- a decade ago at this point. But um, Sean's just... Uh, He's a really knowledgeable dude. He understands gear like nobody. He has a super, super deep well of like information on tones. Mm-hmm. I can tell him like I can give him five descriptors and he can manifest a tone. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing skill. And good engineers, great engineers do that. Good engineers will spend, take some longer. Spend yeah, they'll spend two hundred dollars of your money trying to figure it out. And then particularly because <laughs> you guys he you did that mobile, like he he brought his gear to tell him uh, where you recorded. Yeah, that. so we, my buddy Kyle has a. After the recession hit, and people were scooping up properties, like, you know, 
Uh, he uh, he snatched his place in in Blue Ridge, Georgia. Incredible view, but he, it's uh, called Dancing Bear, name of the cabin. But I called him up and I was like, "Yo, I want to I want to go up to the to the mountains for two weeks. I'm gonna bring my band. I'm gonna bring all the gear in the world and my girlfriend and." My, my couple of my filmmaking filmmaker friends, some of my deep DPs that I work with a lot, and I want to make a record up there. And he's like, "Dude, do it!" <laughs> you know, it's all he's sound wisdom. He's old country boy. He, live, he, he lives in Atlanta now, but he's he, he said, "Hey man, do it." <laughs> I got I got another call coming in, man. Do it. I'll send you the keys. Like, all right. <laughs> you gotta have friends like that. That's important. Oh man, we lucked out big time. That's a killer place. He, you know, it probably would have cost us three or four grand otherwise. So I allocated what what I would have spent on the on the on the play. All I had to do was pay for the cleaning lady, and she was like seventy five bucks. That was a hell of a deal. <laughs> but he, uh, so I allocated those funds. We'll have to get her name spent. from me when you when you leave. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and I, I took uh, I saved some money to do it. I took uh, <clears throat> took some some a loan, and I took a some and a, a generous gift from my family to do it. Um, I've always had a lot of support, um, and emotionally and, uh, my dad's, my parents, both of them, especially my dad has always been very encouraging. He's always said like, it doesn't matter what you do to just like, doesn't matter if you're digging, just, just, just work hard at it. Mm-hmm. So as long as, and, and I've been consistent with it for a long time. And at that point I'd been, I'd, I'd proven that I could survive without, you know, being in total poverty. Um, as a musician, so they were very well willing to help out a little bit financially. So I put I pulled all that money together and paid Sean handsomely, and went up there and <laughs> made a record, and you know went went, went uh, kayaking on on the Nantahalia and ate mushrooms and just had the time of our lives. Man, it was incredible. Like hailstorms, it just it was a great time. It was an amazing experience. I think you can hear some of that energy in the record. It sounds really great, which I would expect. It sounds live, from, which I like. Yeah, which yeah. it mostly was. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the, <clears throat> a lot of the guitar solos and stuff were overdubbed, and obviously the vocals. I recut a lot of that. But were you playing the uh, electric guitar overdubs too? Was that you? Like, I played all that. Yeah, I played all the guitars and, mm-hmm. and synth and keys on the record. Sounds cool. Uh, except for one song, Joe Kosas played. Uh, we really. Incredible keys player from Tampa that um, he's on tour right, tour right now with somebody I can't think of who it is, but um, he sat in and played on a, on a couple of those tracks. But for the most part, I came up with all the weird sounds and I played every every guitar guitar piece and all the vocals. And then I had the rhythm section from Polyenzo be my rhythm section, and they're Smart. fantastic. Denny, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Denny's a, Denny plays drums with me all the time. I mean, he I. He's he's my guy. I think Polly probably takes precedence over over my stuff, as it should. They've been together for a long time and they're a phenomenal band. I mean they're their their music is so it's so ahead of its time. It's so good. It hurts it hurts my brain almost in a way to listen to it because it's very complex and suit and just super simple at the same time. They figure they they straddle that line perfectly. Um and then Alex Schultz played bass on my record, and he's he's sort of the production mastermind behind Polly. Um, so I had a really killer, really creative, creative rhythm section that made the songs 
you know, anything but generic uh, baselines. And they, they, I think they sort of lean more to urban styles of music. Mm-hmm. So it had like, you know, instead of we're on a, on a two step or something like that, instead of going boom, 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 they go boom, 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 boom you know, mm-hmm. more staccato, a little more, a little more balance, a little more yeah. flavor, you know. Yeah. Denny's from Denny's from Puerto Rico, and he plays like it. I mean, the dude has just got mad flavor. So it's very lucky in that regard. Well, and I think you mentioned things. you mentioned two things that are really important there. You know, one is the difference between people making a financial first aid kit gift versus investing in somebody they know is already shown they can survive doing music. Like that's, there's a big difference there. Um, and that's important to feel that support because it's a show of confidence to, it doesn't sound like you need a validation, but it's, it still doesn't hurt to get that level of validation to say, all right, everybody else knows this is a sure thing too. Mm-hmm. And then I think also the level of support you had both in production and musicianship. And some of that's good on you for recognizing musicians that help bring that out. Mm-hmm. And then the other part of it is like, just, good for you because think of all i can think of so many in history that if the person in the room wasn't there to realize or help realize what somebody was working on and bring it to what it ended up being um what's coming to mind right now is just i think of like nirvana never mind you know how much the engineering was so important in the decisions they made and how much that person was involved obviously mm-hmm. and we all knew that was but um I think that that's a really, really important thing. And you had both of those things going for you. And I'm curious too, with that all being said, the reasoning for getting out of town, going up, was that so you had two weeks to focus on the music or is it because you needed to get away from what was going on here? Or like, what was the reason for that? Yeah, I think, I think it was probably a little bit of both. Um, I I grew up going to the mountains in North, North Carolina and Georgia. I mean, that's Blue Ridge is right on the border. I mean, it's, I, I just, something about the Blue Ridge mountains that are it's inspiring. It's magic, dude. It's inspiring. <laughs> yeah. And I've been all, you know, I've been all over the U.S. I've played shows everywhere in the country, and it, I, th- I think like comparatively, you go out west and <clears throat> like in the Tetons or the Rockies, and it's so big and it's so it, it dwarfs you, and it and it really really puts things in perspective, you know. But I don't. I just personally don't feel that same magic when I'm at like six thousand feet and it's really dense and it's like. You can see the, you know, you can see, especially in the Smokies and the Blue Ridge, you can see the way the fog rolls into the valleys. And I don't know, man, there's something about it up there. The air is just so different. I don't know. I don't know. It speaks to me personally. So I wanted to go and capture um, capture a little bit of that magic. I thought that some of that feel would bleed through into the into the recordings. And, I think it does, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it, 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 it might have. It had to have. I don't see how it couldn't have. I mean, that's a very real, a very real thing. You know, you your your recordings take on the energy and the life form of where they're recorded. There's no doubt about that. Well, and you weren't necessarily writing out there. You're recording out there. Everything was written ahead of time. So it's interesting to want to capture the feel of a place, even though everything you wrote was prior to that. And I'm interested too. Like, what was the lyrical and the 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 song content of that record? What were you writing about at that time? And maybe talk a little bit about how that's transitioned, what's going on in your life, and what you're writing about now when you when you are. I think uh, per, like the perspective I'm writing from has shifted a lot, but I think the things that I like to write about, I don't think it's changed. I don't. I mean, that the, the Phantom Heart was. I mean, there were songs about like a friend of mine whose girlfriend was a heroin addict, and you know, trying just saying, hey, you know, there's a you live to fight another day. 
learn to appreciate the rising, you know, the rising sun, blah, 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 that kind of stuff, you know, that more... Um, but even the title, Phantom Heart, I mean, that's a pretty intentional, you know, descriptor. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And there's, there's a lot of that material kind of supports that theme that, you know, there's this, you know, you can get your heart ripped out of your chest, you know, but you've, you've still... You still feel it. You still feel it. You know it's there. And I, I see it as a comforting thing. I, I always thought that sort of that idea is sort of comforting thing. Like, you know, you know that you, your heart got ripped out, but you can still feel it's there. And that and that just says, keep going, you know, keep going. Like there's no, it's not gone. Kind of an abstract idea, I guess. But, um, you know, that's a, that applies to anything, You're any, anything in life. You're so. alive. It's part of being human. Certainly. And I always take sort of a sad hope approach to my songwriting anyway so you know i I like the melancholy but i i don't ever settle on that you know Mm -hmm. i don't ever settle on that i don't i think it's really important to acknowledge the difficulty and the and the strife and you know life's tough but you have if you choose to it's all about attitude if you choose to you know you can you can really have rewarding things happen to you if you have the right attitude that makes all those tough times worth it you know, it's all about balance, perspective, I guess. I, I like I like that you said that you melancholy, but you don't settle on that. You know, um, I think of uh, spent a lot of time in Seattle recently mm-hmm. uh, over the last year, and in that time, you know, it's a rainy, dark place. You know, sunsets mm-hmm. early, and there's a romantic element to that of you know walking a city and like you know the mist and the rain and the dark, like and and from a songwriting almost like a I wouldn't accuse you of being brooding, but I think that there is almost this idea of just this like trying to figure it out and that struggle and that, you know, what's going to happen next, which way do I go? And like that unknown that is that melancholic idea. Mm-hmm. But I love the idea of not settling on it. Ultimately the sun rising, the mist clearing and like, and you don't like your songs are like down the coast, which you just played. Like it does have a little bit of a melancholic feel to it, but it is ultimately cheery. Like it's a, mm-hmm. you finish that song, I'm smiling at the end, you know? Um, and I, I'm curious about that take as you roll into, you've had some life changes. You just had a baby boy. Congratulations, yeah, by the way. You. Yeah. It's, it's still sinking in. I mean, it's very real, but it's still sinking in. But I mean, that's, <laughs> a, that's a big life shift. And in terms yeah. of like, I, I, you know, and talking to you about it briefly before we started and, and, and seeing you while, you know, while he was on the way, like that's something you're excited about, you know? So when you're writing now or stuff more, some of the more recent stuff you've written, are you still feeling that melancholic? approach or like what's coming through in your songwriting these days yeah I, I mean i don't you know i don't think that having having my son has uh it's not like a magic cabbie pill i'll tell you that i mean I, my, my perspective changes in certain ways but i guess and i was thinking about this while driving across the bridge on the way over here about like doing doing things like this podcast and the fact that you know i've worked hard and i and that there are people that want to know what I think about this thing, and that's a privilege, right? And I don't take that for granted. And the way to approach certain things... Now, this this is a thought that I had. Everything that I do from here forth, I have to, like... He, he's there reflecting, like, he, the standard is set. Mm-hmm. If, it's, if, if I'm not operating in a way or doing something in a way that I would... that I know would make him proud or that that I would want to instill in him, you know? Then I'm not. I just. I don't know. It's in that way. It's a complete shift, and um, my, you know, when, when you when you don't have that, 
it's easy when it's just you. It's really easy to sometimes just say, eh, you know, it, it, mediocrity. You know, it comes and goes, and and you don't you don't you're not as tight tight about it with yourself. You know, some you know we all have good days and bad days, and now it's like, eh, no, nope. I need to step up all the time, be the best version of myself all the time, and I'll I'll go to the grave doing it. You know, it's exhausting. Tell you, I tell you that that kind of effort, I can already feel it because. You know, I, I just, you have to be really conscious and aware of, you know, your actions at all time, the way you speak to people. It's 100%, even if he's 10 days old, and it's, I know it's made me a better person, a better man already, for just on that alone, just having, setting a higher standard for myself to be a, an example for him. So in coming to coming to do this podcast and things like that, I you know, I, I can step back and really take it, <clears throat> take it in and appreciate each moment and each thing that comes along like this where maybe in the past I've, I might have taken it for granted it's just another thing I did in my music career or whatever you know mm-hmm. I don't know and that way I think it's going to inform my writing to, to to answer your question specifically I haven't written a thing since I'm too too <laughs> tired to, I got a shed I bought this 10 by 16 foot shed you should really let him sleep in the house you know? yeah <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, but I'm I'm gonna build out a studio. I got a on my my property out in Lutz. I'm gonna I'm gonna build a studio out of it so I can get back to work. Cause man, you know you do need some uh, some sort of escape. Mm-hmm. I figured that out. I'm figuring that out very quickly. I love him. I love him. And I love my girl. And I love her son. You know. But it's it's a total change. It's an absolute change. But it makes you a better person, makes you a better man. So. Well, and I think a big piece of, you know, I, we talked a little bit about some of the stuff uh, prior to the podcast that you've been working on recently. And, I, you know, vulnerability is a theme that I think mm-hmm. just hearing you talk about it, you talked about, you know, lessons learned from your first band and, and pushing. And then also, um, you know, how you manage vulnerability is so important. Um, and I know the song, The Come Down is one of your brand new ones. Um, and I know that that's a big theme in that one. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that, and and yeah, yeah. It's certainly you know certainly relevant to now having to be the best version of yourself because managing and how you control that vulnerability, um, and and be comfortable with it and own it and let you know let yourself still shape a better version of yourself just you know in spite of it. Absolutely. I mean, I th- vulnerability is, you know, as I get older, the more the more I realize it's it's the key element. It's a key element to everything, really. Allowing yourself to be seen. <clears throat> allowing yourself to be seen and allowing yourself to see people. Really see people, you know. Um, a lot of that is rooted in gratitude, you know, not taking for granted the things that you have. And We live in a society that is, that is driven by, like... Um, new all the time you know this what do they call it turnover mm-hmm. you know and um, planned obsolescence oh my god that's good <laughs> that's good that's good so that's exactly what it is mm-hmm. and the path to joy the key i think if you want to access joy and really be able to soak that kind of thing up joyful moments you have to be vulnerable you have to be open to do that and the the chorus of this song kind of touches out on it says you know uh don't give it away till it all falls down. Don't give it away till it all falls down. Don't give it away till the walls fall down all around you and you see the golden rays. And that's just like, for me, it was when I met my girlfriend, my current, my partner, um, that was the first time where I was like, 
um, I feel safe with this person. I feel I love this person so much that I'm willing to just knock down all the walls so she can completely see me, you know? And so that's why I said, don't give it away till it all falls down. It's like, I don't know if that's a message to keep yourself hid until you're ready or to take a risk. Quit being a little bitch and yeah. do it. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that, I don't know. I'm not sure. What, we're not really sure what, I'm not really sure what half of my songs mean, but yeah. you know, there's something in there that's just about vulnerability and allowing yourself to, to be seen. Well, let's hear that one. So, uh, let's do it. In my younger days, fought away all the golden rays of light till I woke up one morning the news that I lost the fight. It's full of prose I lit up the lid of the dead of night What do you do To one for the road And one for the queen's delight Give it away, baby Till it all comes down Give it away, darling Till it all having fun Loving all the run Soaking up the Soaking up the rays of light We don't know where we're going But we know that we're getting it right So when my time has come For the final call I'll step in Step into the white Cause I know I was born To fly on to the other side Oh, no, give it away, baby Till it all it comes down Give it away, darling Till it all it comes down So, JT, I got to bring up before we get you out of here, I got to bring up. So one of the first times I saw you, um, it, you know, and, and important here for our uh, our St. Pete listeners. So some people might know about the loft or as it was called, at least as I as I knew it, the loft. Yep. So I won't tell people where it is. <laughs> 
because that was part of the allure. But I'd heard about this place. It was this guy's apartment um, in a commercial building. So you could have concerts in this apartment. So we go up there. It's this badass old school place, you know, wood floors, wood rafters, this incredible ornate bathroom, you know, and that's the first time I saw you and you're there playing, I think a three thirty-five, and just rocking it, like just rock and roll. I felt like I was in, you know, some like, you know, sequel to almost famous or something like it was a really (laughs) cool experience. Um, you know, so as I think about your, your journey, talk about what are some of your favorite gigs? Um, what's, what's maybe looking back, like, what's a gig where you're like, man, that was when like, I really was just a super magical, special moment. could be a huge gig. Could have just been something that was a really cool and unique thing. Okay. Um, let's think. First time I played Janice, we, we played, uh, Thomas went and the believers opened up for us. Uh, and we sold it out. And that was with the Groves. That was with the Groves. Yeah. And for people listening, um, you know, nationally, uh, or internationally, Janice now Janice Live was Janice Landing is such a cool venue here in St. Petersburg that is just, you know, some of the biggest names come through still and play this venue that's it's not a big spot, but it's a courtyard between buildings. Um it's such an epically cool place. It really is. I mean I I, I was amazed but you know, during sound check, the way that you can the sound bounces off all the walls and comes back to the stage. It's a really it's just a really cool sounding stage. It's like enveloping the sound is. Um Bonnaroo set was great. That's, you know, that was a... And that's a benchmark for musicians. That's a benchmark, you know? certainly. Um, Webster Hall, I, you know, with Polly Enzo, um, I was playing guitar, and and that was a really cool game. We did, we did Webster Hall, and House of Blues, Chicago. I mean, some like pretty iconic venues. Those, those, those stick out. Um, I've had shows right here in St. Pete at Hideaway Cafe that in front of 85 people where I was completely just, I was just lost in it. And you could hear a pin drop, you know, for 30 minutes, an hour. It's such a special room. We should tell listeners too, we are in no way affiliated with the Hideaway Cafe. It comes up in almost any episode where we have a Tampa musician or even, even international musicians or national musicians, I should say, that are touring through and play there. Like it comes up because it is just, it's a special room. For sure. John's done a great job. I mean, he's, he's, uh, it's it's all around. It's just the vibe, the <clears throat> the sound, the way he's designed the sound, the actual acoustics of the room. I mean, it's just a great listening room. I love listening rooms. I've they're terrible. I'd rather, I'd much rather play in front of you know a few thousand than a few hundred. That's just me. I I I enjoy it, but it's there's something about being that naked that it just you know it makes you step your game up. Certainly, you don't have you don't have a you know with a bigger crowd you can say. You can talk to them twice. Say, "Hey, you know, you're having a good time," and they, and they scream, and that's the end of that, you know. But when you're by yourself on a stage in front of a hundred people, and it's quiet, and it's a listening room, and they're there, and they know they're not allowed to talk, you know, you gotta you gotta do your thing. So that's a magical room. I love that. Um, you know, those those stick out to me. Obviously, some of those bigger shows and bigger festivals. How about a dream gig? What's the dream gig? You lay back at night thinking about dream gig, and it could be a venue. It could be you know a, a band you want to be playing with, like some dream bill. But you know, what do you? What's what's the golden the golden goal there? Red Rocks. Nobody's gonna argue with that. No, I mean that's yeah. I just I love nature. I love being out in nature. I think it just be aesthetically, it's it's gotta be great to you know some of, some of our boys. You know, like Dave News played it twice now. 
you know, hip has played it a couple of times and I, yeah. I'm really proud of him. That's a, that's a great accomplishment, you know, like it's nice to see your friends do those kind of things. And I, I imagine that I will get there eventually. So oh, and those guys too, they put in the work for sure. <clears throat> Absolutely. For sure. They have a great, great band. Too. So JT, what do we, what do we, what should we look for for you for the next few years? What are you working on? What, what should people do if they want to go support you, hear your music and uh, look forward to you? So let's see. I'm coming out with a film. I, I played the lead role um, in a about a 15 minute short film. It's called Hangman. I wrote the title track for that and and starred in it. Uh, that's coming out in the fall. Uh, I'm in the studio. As soon as this thing's built, I'm getting to work. I have a lot of material, 25, 30 songs that are just sitting in my pocket waiting to be fleshed out. Have you decided imagine- you're going to record that yourself? I'm gonna record all the demo. I'm gonna I'm gonna demo. demo out every single every single part. Right. I'm gonna write all the drums in Ableton. I'm gonna put a band together. I'm gonna to keep the synthesizer tracks and then re-record all the guitars and vocals and everything and uh, try to get some funding for it and some proper proper funding. I want these songs. I think, like I said, I think I'm reaching that point where I'm really starting to figure out my my ideal formula for like having a unique sensibility melodically and um, compositionally and also it being a really tight package that I, that that can be digested by people that are confused by a lot of music. Right, right. <laughs> you know? A wide range so, of people. Yeah, but, just yeah. a lot of people out there that find it hard to digest anything that isn't that isn't familiar to their ear. So it's too out. Yeah. I'm interested in finding like finding that line and straddling it. I mean the idea is to reach as many people as possible. I want to I want to I want to attract listeners that are really, really have a d- diverse like catalog, and, uh, you know, in their in their brains from childhood on that have listened to all kinds of music and have a really good, un- really good taste and understanding of artistic expression. And I want to attract people that on a pontoon boat drinking Bud Lights that, that are just happy people that don't care to be discerning about music. They just like to feel good. You know, I want to I want to be able to hit everybody. Mm-hmm. Metaphorically speaking. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we don't condone any physical violence, uh, if possible. Well, JT, listen, man, we appreciate you doing it. You want to uh, you want to take us out with one? Yeah. Thanks, guys, for having me. Yeah. It's, it's thank awesome. You, you guys thank are you. doing a great thing here. So thanks. thank you. I'm glad to be a part of it. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see if this thing's in tune. Close enough, Indy. What's the name? What are we, what are um, you doing for us? This one is called Oak. Oak. Yep. This is from your EP. This is from the last EP. Yep. And you know, you mentioned uh, starring in a film. You know, for anybody, uh, anybody that's new to JT, um, go check out his website, and uh, you know, we'll talk about it in the credits and stuff too. But JT's got a really cool continued film of your last EP, yep. which is super cool, uh, and just that's re- got that melancholic journey. Yep. you know kind of open road feel to it which is is really gratifying uh, going through you can kind of you can watch the whole thing or you can just listen to the whole thing and it's enjoyable so um yeah this, that, is, this is one of the ones on there yeah this is one of the ones on there and that was a great that was a great trip my friend dylan melcher shot that here we go this song's called oak take us home man Face, put another life in another place. 
Yeah, man. We'll see you next time. Yes, sir. supporting us and our sponsors and all the great independent music makers out there trying to make their way in the music business these days. Songs we heard in this episode are Silkworm and The Devil's Shoulder from JT's album Phantom Heart. We also heard Down the Coast and Oak from his Down the Coast EP and the brand spanking new as yet unreleased song The Come Down. To check out JT's latest stuff, including his full catalog, as well as some great video footage, you can visit jtbrownandco.com. That's j-t-b-r-o-w-n-a-n-d-c-o.com. JT's also on Spotify, Instagram, and all the places he gets your social media. And we encourage you to keep an eye on those platforms to see when JT Brown is playing again near you. This is my dad's 12-year-old all-star hat. Oh, that's awesome. Because it says, like, League... What's it say? League Champs? Champs. Yeah. I stole it from him a long time ago. You can't get more vintage than that. No, it's real. Yeah. And he's still alive, man. It's all vintage. Does he know you have his hat? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he knows. 
Song Divers is a production of Ybor City Records and recorded in the historic Kenwood district of St. Petersburg, Florida.